Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Grand Island Independent Podcast, The Real Night of the Twisters, Episode 4, Reporting on Tornadoes. Sponsored by Teal Haas Tire. Teal Haas Tire is the home of the courtesy inspection. They check your brakes, belts, hoses, fluids, tires, and more absolutely free. Teal Haas Tire, a tradition of trust since 1947. June 3rd, 1980 was a night that lives in infamy for those who lived through it. That night, seven tornadoes ripped through Grand Island, Nebraska, destroying everything in the way, including homes, businesses, and people. Storms caused power outages to almost every home and business in town, including the Grand Island Independent newspaper and a radio station in Donovan called KROA. Jeff Barr visits with two men who worked in journalism the night the Twisters hit. Longtime MyBridge Radio morning host Gordon Wheeler was on the radio that night. MyBridge Radio at that time was called KROA. Wheeler, who was 19 at the time, recalls that night. Let's go back to that night. What were you doing? June of 1980, I was a student at Central Community College and was working at that point part-time at KROA. The uh, studios for KROA at that point uh, were just north of Donovan, about a mile north of Donovan. So uh, I was scheduled to work that evening and um, remember very distinctly leaving to go to work. I think my shift started at about uh, 5 o'clock in the evening. I remember stopping at McDonald's to get something to eat on the way there and then going to work and um, remembered there is a little bit of a humidity in the air, but uh, wasn't anything that really made me think that it was going to be an exceptionally stormy night. And so my day that evening started off like uh, a number of other evenings had when I went to work at KROA. Okay, we'll just pick it up from there. As the evening went on, I could tell that some clouds were starting to build and uh, can remember uh, back in that day to be notified about Storm warnings, things like that. We had a, a big teletype system. I think people may remember hearing about Associated Press teletype, UPI teletype. Well, the Weather Service had a dedicated teletype back in that day as well. And it was a, a fairly large device, much bigger than the AP teletype was. And I can remember getting uh, the first warning of the evening actually came in. It was a severe thunderstorm warning for Howard County, the St. Paul area. And uh, went on the air and broadcast the information for that. And uh, can remember um, uh, shortly after that point looking out our back window to the north towards Grand Island and just had noticed how, how black the sky was getting. And you hear a lot of people that went through that night of June 3rd, 1980, talking about how black it was and how dark it was. And that certainly is something that, that I evidenced that evening. And that was probably around 7.30 or so in the evening, just noticed how incredibly dark and black it was to the north over Grand Island. So anyway, as time went on, uh, started getting uh, a couple of tornado warnings and uh, the intensity of the evening kept getting closer and closer, even though I was in Donovan, could still feel some effects of the storm going on there. There were some strong winds. Um, had a couple of brief power outages as well at the facility there in Donovan, but uh, somehow the power always came back on, um, which I was very thankful for, even though there was a period of time later in the evening we were off for about an hour because of the power outage. So anyway, the warnings were going on, went on the air and announced the warnings. But the things that really stick out to me as far as warning situation that evening was two times 
Uh, the National Weather Service back in 1980, which was located at the airport uh, near Grand Island, uh, put a notice out that they were evacuating their headquarters because of uh, a tornado that was getting close to their facility there, so they were evacuating. And I can just remember as a 19-year-old kid, <laughs> somewhat lost and somewhat hopeless, thinking, oh, this is really something going on if, uh, if the Weather Service is evacuating their headquarters. Uh, and um, so that was a rather ominous part of the evening, and that is one of the memories that, that still sticks out to me from that evening. Uh, went on, and there continued to be warnings going on. And uh, again, back in that day, the warnings and the communication is not what it was today. Uh, it was basically a warning and maybe a little bit of a follow-up that was going on. Uh, my father, uh, who lived in Superior at the time, uh, had called me a couple of times during the evening and saying that there were some reports that were on the TV about some damage possibly around Grand Island, and uh, there were rumors about this facility being damaged and that facility being damaged. And uh, I can't remember the specific details of how accurate that was. I, I think some of it was probably inaccurate uh, as to what was going on, but that was kind of the situation that we dealt with back then is that there was not a lot of clear information going on. It really wasn't even entirely clear uh, in some cases, how much damage that there was that evening. So, uh, but I do remember that. Remember those calls from my father, I uh, can remember at one point the power being out at the Donathan facility, and uh, we had a small basement there, and, and the storm was intense enough that I felt that I needed to be down there for at least a little while, and can remember hearing uh, some gravel in our parking lot flying up and, and hitting, the, uh, hitting the building that we were in, so um, definitely there were some strong winds there in Donathan, even though, of course, nothing like what was taking place in Grand Island, so... Anyway, power came back on, uh, finished warnings out, uh, again, had not been contacted or, or knew the exact detail of, knew that there was probably some damage, but exactly how intense it was. And so my evening ended at about 1 o'clock that night, uh, signed the station off, uh, which we signed off overnight back then. And uh, that was it for that day for the Night of the Twisters. But uh, it was a very intense evening. I can definitely remember wondering uh, about the intensity of it, and uh, was very thankful that I was not any closer to to that evening than I was there in Donovan. Did you see the damage the next day? Uh, I did not. See, well, I, I saw news reports on TV of the damage the next day. I, I knew, you know, everyone as the day came on knew that it was very extensive. And uh, another gentleman who worked at our station actually had the opportunity to file some national news reports. His, his uh, reports were on national news on Associated Press uh, that was being covered then. And so he was able to, to string a couple of reports along for well, two or three days, I think, actually. It was in the, in the national news, at least some some part of the story going on. So I guess that lets you go, know on a scale of, of the nationality of it about how big it was because it was a couple, three days before it kind of 
changed out of the news cycle back then. Of course, news cycles are a lot different then than they were now. It's not as as, as urgent as it is now. It seems like, but uh, it was in the news for a couple of days, and one of our one of our staff members was able to actually string some reports for them nationally. So, and I, I, I it was actually several weeks before I got into Grand Island to see the damage for myself and see some areas like that. I, I pretty much stayed out of town. Did not necessarily. Uh, have anyone close to me that lived in Grand Island that I needed to make contact with. Uh, I knew of some friends at college because I was still a student at uh, the community college in Hastings at that time, but had some relatives there who had gone in there and they said it was just absolutely massive, especially around the South Locust Street. They mentioned the damage that they had saw around there was just really, really extensive. So within the next day or so, it really became clear how much damage there was. Coming back, Jeff visits with Harold Ritter, a longtime newspaper reporter with the Grand Island Independent, who talks about how they covered the storms and how to try to get a newspaper out when there was no electricity to print. When the Real Night of the Twisters continues. When it's time to hit the road, the last thing you need to worry about is your vehicle. At T.L. Haas Tire, we'll inspect your brakes, belts, hoses, fluid, suspension, tires, and more. All done by a certified technician and all done absolutely free. And don't forget, we have a tire for every vehicle and every budget with optimum tire wear, fuel economy, and most importantly, driver safety. T.O. Hawks, tire and auto, a tradition of trust. Welcome back to the Grand Island Independence Podcast Series, The Real Night of the Twisters. Jeff Barr visits with Harold Ritter, former Grand Island Independent employee, about how they printed the paper with no electricity and trying to deliver newspapers and realized that many of their customers didn't have homes to deliver to anymore. Probably the first thing to remember is how we had to print the paper the first day is that because the electricity was off in all of Grand Island, we couldn't operate our printing press. So what we did is we rounded up every typewriter in the newspaper. We were still, we were in that transition period where we starting to type things up on a uh, computer network tied all together by a server. And that was fairly new f- for newspapers back in 1980. But we still had a number of typewriters in the building. So we ended up rounding up all the typewriters and Bill Brennan remembers that because we didn't have lights, we uh, put some of those typewriters on maybe port, you know, uh, small tables uh, by the wind front windows of the independent so people could see the type. I think I could see well enough that I maybe still typed at my desk. Uh, but, uh, and then as it turned out, the electricity to downtown Grand Island came on about mid-morning that day. But David Belisles, the publisher at that time, decided that uh, we were still going to use the printing presses at uh, York, Nebraska, because that was part of the Stauffer newspaper company, so it was a sister newspaper, and he was afraid that we'd uh, try to print everything off here and that the electrical system might be shaky and that about the time we wanted to run the printing presses, they'd all have to be, uh, the electricity go off again. So what happened is that everybody, all the reporters typed up their stories, and then some of the uh, reporters went back or traveled, you know, took the paper copies, and then I think they probably had to rekey them over in York to get them to go through its system uh, to get it to go through uh, the press. 
And so, and I don't know if, uh, if it was only reporters or if we took any of our classified staff or how we did all the rekeying. But the other thing that we did that first day is because everything was knocked out is that we did not have any ads in that newspaper. So we just printed an eight page special edition, so to speak, then got it printed off at York and drove all those newspapers back and then uh, delivered it as best we could because some of our paper carriers discovered that uh, the homes that they delivered uh, to were gone. So there was nothing that they could uh, deliver to. In fact, I can't remember, but somebody had something like 87 or 89 customers on her route and all about, but two of them had, the homes were gone. There was nothing to deliver to. So uh, that that is probably the, you know, again, that's part of being a uh, paper product versus maybe being radio or uh, television. And, uh, but we did the best. And another thing that, we, uh, because so many homes were initially uh, destroyed and so many paper routes were wiped out, it didn't take the, long, uh, the public long to uh, figure out what our afternoon press times were. And so I always remember that about one o'clock when our first run uh, of the newspaper, we do like a, maybe a one o'clock and a two o'clock run of the newspaper about one o'clock we'd get about 20 or 30 people lined up at our counter to get the newspaper to find out what was going on uh, in Grand Island because that was the way they could keep up uh, with the news. So uh, those are some of my memories about that. Let's talk about the destruction, what it did to Grand Island. When you went out around talking to people, I'm sure you were surprised at what it had done. Yes, it was uh, really pretty amazing. Uh, you know, a lot of, I, at that time I was the city hall reporter. And so a lot of times what I was doing is I was walking over to city hall to get daily prep uh, briefings, but a lot of the other reporters were going out and talking to people. And then our photographers got out and just had all kinds of photos of the destruction. And I, one of our photographers just got up in a uh, plane, I believe. I don't believe it was a helicopter. I believe it was a plane and took aerial photos. And I can remember him taking pictures, you know, South Locust, but uh, which was one of the hardest hit areas. The thing that I could remember is it wasn't just South Locust. It was some of the area west of South Locust as well. And, and so you could see there were seven several streets, but you couldn't really see the pavement. All you could see were boards and lumber scattered across the streets. There was that, that much in the streets? There was that much in the street. You wow. couldn't really see the concrete. And, and in some ways, you couldn't see what was, uh, you know, South Locust versus some of the residential streets west because there were no landmarks for the most part from the air. So it was just all this lumber strewn about in the streets, in the yards, and wow. over the commercial lots, and it, wow. it was it was hard to tell what was what you know which street was South Locust and which were the residential streets because there was just so much lumber uh, scattered about. 
That wraps up this episode of The Real Night of the Twisters. On our next episode, what books were written on that infamous night, June 3rd, 1980? Join us next time on the Grand Island Independence Podcast Series, The Real Night of the Twisters, sponsored by Teal House Tire. At Teal House Tire, Teal House Tire is the home of the courtesy inspection where they check your brakes, belts, hoses, fluids, tires, and more absolutely free. Teal House Tire, a tradition of trust since 1947. Thank you for listening to The Real Night of the Twisters Podcast, copyrighted Grand Island Independent and Lee Enterprises 2021. Written, narrated, and produced by Josh Salmon. I'd like to thank Jeff Barr, Gordon Wheeler, and Harold Ritter, and you for listening. Until next time, this is Josh Salmon.